I talk to strangers day or night. I talk to strangers in any kind of life. It makes sense to me to believe in the kindness and the trust I That's a nice Everything piano. Everything for sale if it's a piano. Okay, I'll keep <laughs> that in mind. So I'm here with James Carney, who, as you hear, is a lovely pianist. Pianist. How do you say that? Pianist. Pianist. Or piano player. Piano player. What's your preference? Just so I'm clear. Oh, I don't have a preference. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Sometimes I could offend someone and not even intend it. And then you could be sitting here angry the whole podcast, which... That's we don't want to make you angry. So James and I met, oh gosh, a while back. I can, I'm terrible. This podcast is like all about me and when I meet strangers for the first time and I can never remember when that is. It was a number of years ago, however. It was probably... Are you good with dates? Yeah, yeah. I would say it was seven or eight years ago. Seven or eight, okay. And we met, um, I think we, we met, was, I was in a band at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The Fly Girls, Finally Lost It was our name, Finally Lost It Girls. And um, we used to go out afterward to Sidecar, the lovely Sidecar. And I think one night you were there and we ended up just cracking up and just chatting a bunch and it was a very fun night. And ever since then, it's funny that we'd never encountered one another before then because you're very close friends with my friend Abena and other people that I knew, but I guess I hadn't been, had you been already doing, so James and his lovely wife, Heidi, did a series, a jazz series at Corzo called Conceptions, right? That's right, Conceptions Music Series. And when did you actually start that series? It was started a long time ago. It was actually in four or five, it was always meant to be a nomadic jazz series. And so that's why we called it Conceptions App, you know, with the, uh, Ampersand. Oh. Or not the ampersand, the, the, the A in the circle, like the email. Oh, at, like, yeah. oh, where you were so going to be in different places. So the Cozy Lounge is actually where it started, which is now called Quarter Bar. That was the first venue for the series. Oh, really? And from there, it went to Bar 4, and from there, it went to a place called Biscuit Barbecue, which had formerly been called Night and Day. It's now huh. called the, the, crap, the something crowd. Yeah. The shaking lobster, shaking crab, is that what it's called? You know, I Fresno don't. Fifth. And, but it was at Corzo for about 10 years, at least nine years. So that was by far. In Park Slope. In, in Park Brooklyn. Slope, Corzo restaurant on Fifth Ave. And yeah. it was really the perfect place in many ways because it did have a nice separate back room. The owner bought a grand piano. He bought a drum. He bought a back line for us. Yeah. So we had the series there every Tuesday night, 48 weeks of the year. And we did it for nine or ten years. Forty-eight weeks of the year. We would take off Christmas and New Year's. I missed a lot of of shows (laughs) because I didn't start going till. But we were there every week, and that was the thing that also made it a little bit different from a lot of other musician-run series is that we did attend every week. 
which I think is a really important thing to do if you're going to do a series. If you're running it. I think so. I think so. Because you become sort of the fixture, like people... It's just good to take care of it. Maybe I wasn't out of... So we did we did 540 shows or 560 shows, something like that. And it was always on Tuesday? Always on Tuesday. And, And out of those 560 shows... There were less than 10 that I wasn't at. Wow. Like, I was in Europe once or twice. That's a lot of shows. That's a lot of commitment to be there every Tuesday. Yeah. So, and how many different music, do you know how many different musicians you had through there? I don't, but it was in the hundreds for sure. Because we did, at one point, we were trying to figure that out. We actually made a list, and it was a couple hundred people. That's cool. But we also, and we always were into having new people for the first time, but we also liked to showcase people. Time Your buddies. So that, you know, we can really get to, well, you know. Well, I, you play with a lot of different guys, right? And I so did. you like to play with I them. I only put myself on the series once a month. So, and there, since there were two bands a night, that only meant that I took, took up, you know, one slot out of eight possible slots a month. So it could have been your thing. I mean, you could have made it more your. Maybe, but I think that the reason it worked is because I didn't do that. So there are series like that where musicians will just try to have their own night. At a yeah. Venue. And that's fine, but that wasn't what I wanted to do with this. And why not? Just because I wanted to, to make it about the series and showcasing avant-garde modern jazz because we need more venues like that. I mean, yeah. now this is a whole other thing with COVID, but pre-COVID, yeah, yeah. there was still a lack of, of these kinds of places available. Yeah. You know, because there's so many, there's, there's just a lot of commercial considerations. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, did you do pretty well financially from it? I mean, no, that wasn't no. the point, but I wasn't trying to do well financially from it. But, but that is a consideration. But the I mean, yeah. The, the bar and restaurant did make money from the series, and the musicians could make money. So that's what it was about for me. Is, but I'm saying there was money, money was brought in absolutely. as a result of people attending. All of the, all of the money. It was a, it was a strongly suggested fifteen dollar donation. It yeah. started at ten, went to fifteen. A lot of people would just put in twenty. Right. But it got to the point where musicians, if they drew really well, they could make really good money there. Like, how much would you make on a good night for a show like that? I'd rather not say on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just good. curious because you know part of the reason that I, I guess you know this this podcast is about talking to strangers, right? Mm-hmm. And and. Your music series was a great place. I just had on this guy, Andy Bianco. I don't know if you know Andy. Yeah, we've met. But so, you know, I met him there. He wasn't playing, but he was there. And, you know, Desron and mm-hmm. Ravi. And, I mean, I didn't meet Ravi there. But, like, you, it was such a fun night to meet people. It was like, really fun. And towards the end, we started seeing people like Bill Frizzell would come and hang out. Yeah. Who is just, you know. There's really no better player than him on guitar. What is, oh, is it? And uh, one See, night, I'm so not knowledgeable. And half the time I would be talking to somebody, and then later Abena would say, well, you know so-and-so, you were talking to them. Uh, and I said, well, I didn't catch the name. And I don't know, you know, not being, I just am not that yeah. knowledgeable. I love listening to jazz. I love hanging out with all the jazz well, for people. for the podcast people listening that, that are fans of the music, they're going to know that, they're going to know who Bill Frizzell is. They're going to know, like, Chris Potter would come and hang out. Yeah. Robbie Coltrane would come and hang out. Yeah. And we had older uh, jazz musicians as well. Yeah. Like different generation. Guys in their 70s and 80s, sometimes they, they would pop by. Yeah. And we had the New, the New York Times came by and yeah. did reviews of people, as did the New York City Jazz Record. Yeah. As did uh, 
Time Out New York and yeah. writers like Jim Mackney. And so it was really fun to create that kind of community. Totally. And then, and then one night, Andy Summers from The Police was in there. Oh, was yeah. The band. And I just thought, you know, this is really why I just never envisioned that something that started so grassroots and so small would develop into something like that. But see, I think that's the, I mean, from, from my vision of it, which is clearly like as a total, you know, bystander, I just, you know, there's something, that's what I love about being in Brooklyn and being in New York in general is that you just have all these people and knock on wood with the world the way it is that that, that will continue because obviously it's not a cheap place to live and with incomes kind of, you know. And so right now we're in your studio, which brings me actually to your new project, which is why, you know, we started talking today because it's, so exciting. This is actually, tell me a little bit about this piano studio that we're in. We're in Industry City, which is a whole big, newly developed industrial park. It's a very cool space. And Yeah, so this is Industry City, and we're in Building 6. There are 11 buildings. They were built between 1905 and 1910. Nobody knows exactly when. Yeah. And they've had a very interesting history since they were developed, but they're large spaces with a lot of sunlight coming in. 13-foot ceilings, polished concrete floors that look like terrazzo. I love that. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, I look at this like I want this to be my piano shop based on, like, an Italian car repair shop. You, know, <laughs> you can eat a meal off the floor. It's so clean. Nice. So I want it to be clean. It's not the biggest shop, but that's okay. I'm not planning on doing lots of work. It's not going to be about volume. It's going to be about individual pianos here. Yeah. And we're going to have some modest pianos for sale. I'll certainly from time to time have grand pianos that are coming in that don't need a lot of work, but there will always be a piano, like for instance, right now I'm working on a 1933 Steinway A, Cool. and I'm doing a lot to it, huh. um, but I am keeping a lot too, because I also believe in selecting instruments that I'm going to rebuild that don't need everything replaced, because then the original character is taken away. So it's fun for me. In fact, I should take the cover off this. Yeah, I want to see it. So how did you start rebuilding pianos? I and mean, give me a little background. Right, on... so this is the first shop I've ever had, but the kind of work I'm doing here, I've been doing for about 12 years. I've been working on pianos since the 90s. That's when I started tuning. But you're to... so young. <laughs> I went to CalArts, and when I was there, I became fascinated by piano technology, probably because... We had a couple of amazing Bosendorfer grand pianos there that I took my weekly lessons in. Uh -huh. we had a book, so we had two Bosendorfer Model 200s, side by side, and that was in the teaching room. And I had my major lesson there every week with my mentor. That's, he was called a mentor. What was his name? David Reutstein. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent pianist. CalArts is cool. I went and looked there for Oscar. I think I told you, my yeah. son. So he was my mentor and teacher, and he's also, he was also the founder of the jazz program with Charlie Hayden. Cool. The famous bass player. And when I was there in the mid-80s, we had a great crew there that all converged at the same time. Scott Colley was there. Rodney Coltrane was there. Ralph Alessi was there. Oh, right. Nedra I forgot. Wheeler, Ralph was there, too. Peter Epstein. Uh, just a bunch of people. And Ralph and Ravi are both, have both been in New York. I don't know if Ralph, is he still in New York? He, he was, actually just moved to, he's still here. He has a presence here, but he's teaching right now in Switzerland. Right, but right. He's here all the time. But so those, the three of you often play together. Yeah, we have over the years. That's and, cool. So you went to college together. And they've done a lot of projects together and with, as sidemen with other people too. Yeah. Because they moved here in 1992. Uh -huh. I stayed in LA and didn't move here until 2004. Oh. So that's the big 
big difference between the three of us. Okay. So I'm the new person here, <laughs> although I've been here in 15 years now. So I started getting into, anyway, when I was at CalArts, I became fascinated by Bosendorfer pianos. They're European, they're from Vienna. They, they're just so different. And I started thinking about pianos for the first time. Uh-huh. And after I graduated, I became obsessed with searching for a grand piano to buy. And I still have the piano that I found in 1994. It's a August 1st, it's from Germany. Huh. And it's actually from the former East Germany. It's from Lubach, Germany. So it says DDR on the cast iron plate, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so I have a communist piano. <laughs> and, and I started... Do you think it, it affects the sound? And if so, well, in what way? Not because, it's, uh, <laughs> not because it was communist, but because, because of the design of the piano, yes. I mean, every, all, and then in 19, uh, it was 1994, 95, I started tuning. Uh-huh. And then when I moved to New York... I realized I've got to do something to make some money because playing JMS gigs isn't cutting, at yeah. least not at this point it wasn't. So, um, although you know, I've made some money doing my music here and there, especially with composition and, and things like that. But, yeah. So I started working for a dealership that's, that specialized in these instruments, these huh. German instruments. And he also like dealt with rebuilt Steinways. And then I started doing this work myself and doing it for clients, but I was always doing it either in our apartment or at the client home. Right. So for me to have this space now, I know I where I have because nobody can see this, but I have four pianos here now, and I could easily have another two, and I still have tools and room for things. And I've that's never pretty had, exciting. It is exciting, and now I have power tools that I can run that won't bother well, anybody. There you go. And that's the just, most exciting thing well, is, is the power yes. tools. And uh, and I was a little bit concerned <laughs> that I um, would bother my neighbor tenants, but. As you can tell, and as people totally can hear, soundproof. I've done sound treatment. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't even have a conversation in here without. Oh, really? So all these panels just went in, and the, the and they really went, help. Oh, immensely. And I was thinking of getting some. I have uh, exposed ceilings in my house, and and you can hear the toilet flush and everything. So I thought maybe I'd get some. It of could these. help. Yeah, it, it could help. help. But that's cool. So what what sort of prompted the? So COVID being locked down for COVID was just like for everybody, it was devastating. And I wasn't doing anything and I was sitting at home and I had a 1930s summer ground, a five foot ground, that I picked up eight years ago, just yeah. sitting there collecting dust. Oh yeah, I saw, I saw. And it. I thought, okay, well now's the time to actually do this piano. Because it was, you know, it was 80 to 100 hours of work. Maybe, oh maybe even more, I didn't even have, I didn't even have. You were fixing it up to hours. sell. Yes, and, it, uh -huh. and we haven't even marketed it yet. It's actually for sale now. It's it is beautiful. And how much is it? How much am I selling it for? Yeah, I'm listing it for eleven thousand three seventy five. Eleven thousand three hundred and seventy five dollars. It would look great in your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I unfortunately do not have room for that size sure you piano. Do. It's a, it's the it's the model forty one cubit grand. It's yeah. very spelt. Really? Yeah, and it's only five feet. And it's only eleven thousand. This is chump change. Yeah, eleven three seventy five. That includes delivery. <laughs> You're in, a, you're in an elevator, thing, right? Hell no. Oh, it's terrible. I'd like to see someone get that piano with my stairs. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be that hard. It could be done. You know, even just my upright was, I have to like leave the area when people bring heavy stuff up my stairs. <laughs> I just feel very guilty about it. Oh, I thought you meant you were nervous. And you, you well, know. both, both. I'm nervous. I'm mostly nervous for the people. I'm like, I can't watch people carry heavy things. It's uh -huh. upsetting. They carried my fridge up and I mean, that was just, and plus it doesn't make it through and. I don't know. They have to take things apart. But that being said, you know, I am 
I do play piano a little bit, not uh-huh. anything on the scale. But I do, I do love having a piano, and I do feel the personality of pianos. And it's interesting because I just bought mine used at the... Where did I buy it? It was at the antique store. But, you know, it was interesting because even though it kind of... It sounds like an old blues piano, actually. And mm-hmm. it has some little issues, but there was a guy who came to play one night who's like a St. Louis blues player and it was like the perfect piano for him so there is like right people have different sure desires for the way a piano sounds Absolutely. i imagine yeah nobody can pick a, a piano for a pianist you know it's 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 very hard to do all i can say is that just i've been doing this stuff for a long time there's a lot of different things that can be done and rebuilt with the piano yeah and i've done most of them and then the other things that i haven't done i'll finally have a chance to be able to do but what's great is that I've networked over the years with a number of really fine technicians that know a lot, rebuilders. Yeah. And so just last week I was hanging with somebody who's been in the business for 40 years. I was at his shop. Uh-huh. And he was kind enough to, to, he wanted to, or he wanted, he allowed me to watch him do something that I haven't done a lot of. I've done it before, but not a lot of it. So, you know, experiences like that, that's what's being great about you know, being in New York City, being around other technicians. I was yeah. working at a technician's guild for 10 years. And oh, so there's I, a guild There is a guild. Wow. And I have a number of people I can call. I can call people or text people and say, hey, how, I can send pictures and say, what do you think of this? Would you do it like this? It's very interesting. There's forums. Yeah, there's all these Facebook geek forums for, <laughs> for, these, uh, for these technicians all over the world. And but now the question is, are you going to do performances here? I've so heard some rumors. A, yeah. So what we want to do is we need to get at least one or two of these pianos up and running. Because right now the grands, I do have some uprights here that are ready to, to be sold. And we can do a concert on that. That's fine. But probably when the Steinway A is redone, that's this piano here. Uh-huh. I think we will have several performances. And I've already talked to a couple of pianists that are very well known that would love to come and do it. Cool. And so I think it's something we can do even with COVID because we can just keep it small. Yeah. If people are wearing masks and people are, and the people that we're going to invite are going to be people that are going to comply with that. I hope that I'm on that list because I really want to. <laughs> and so I think that <laughs> I it's something really that we keep can up. do. Yeah. You know, even with COVID still among us, yeah. we don't know how long it's going to be here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, not to, not really going there, but the idea that people have to start, you know, like they're going to allow restaurants to have inside seating for a certain number. And, you know, I, I think there's that idea. Some people say like, oh, well, when this is over, we'll get back to normal. But it's, you know, like you said, it's, it's not totally over anytime soon. So we do have to figure ways in which we can move forward, you know, carefully, but surely. So that's, exactly. that would be, that would be awesome. Cause I know, I mean, it's so hard, well, for the musicians, especially but for people like myself who are audience members, I mean, just like missing so much that the camaraderie of it and the music, frankly, cause there's nothing quite like listening to live music. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And actually in some ways I think that this could eventually be possibly the best venue I've ever had because there will be no distractions. Yeah. It's quiet. I mean, we can just turn the air conditioner. Yeah, yeah. And in the winter, that won't be a problem anyway. And what would you do? Would you set up chairs or you'd have standing room? Yeah, I don't know. You, do? you know, that's something to think about. We might be able to get some inexpensive chairs and do that. But 
you know, we have seating right now for basically six or seven people, so maybe we just need seven or seven or eight more chairs. Yeah. Even you know, most people feel like if they're playing for ten people, that feels good. Oh yeah. And especially in a room that's not gigantic. So, and we could possibly have twenty to thirty people in this room once COVID ends. Right. I, think we, I could see that happening. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, it is a commercial zone. I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that. Yeah. And, um, we're, we're cool. very much looking forward to that possibility for sure. Have they, you played anywhere else? Have you actually had any gigs? I have not, um, but I haven't been trying. It's right. really important for a lot of people to do it, and I get that. And what I've done is just kind of gone into this because I knew that COVID was going to put us on the sidelines for a while. Yeah. And I was just happy to see that, for instance, Sunnyside was still willing to put my album out. It seems like most labels are doing that. And I think that right, you had an are, album come out during right. all this. So wait, tell me a little bit. Now, I was really, I must say, really have been the last few times I saw you and listened to your, comp, your compositions that I was really blown away. And I had heard you play for years, but more recently, it really did feel like there was something even just sort of more, I don't know what the word is, maybe complex or... Maybe I've, I've begun to understand jazz as a language better, but I really did feel like some of your stuff was just like really strong and I'm not alone in feeling that way, right? You've gotten really well reviewed for this last album. I feel really great about it because it's, you know, it's, there's just so much going on now. There's so much despair in the world and politically things are in turmoil. And so to get attention, because I've been doing this now for a while, this is my eighth album as a leader. Wow. Although really? I have three others that are ready to come out as either a leader or co-leader that are, that are done as well. So this album was actually recorded four years ago, and Sunnyside said they wanted to put it out. Uh-huh. And that took a year, and that's fine. So yeah. And it's I, called Pure it's Heart. It's called Pure Heart, and it features Stephanie Richards on trumpet. Oscar Noriega is playing bass clarinet. And all Who's songs. from my hometown, Tucson, Arizona. That's right. Uh, Robbie Coltrane plays tenor, soprano, and sopranino saxophone. And the rhythm section is myself, and Desiron Douglas on bass, and Tom Rainey on drums. And it's just such a fun band. And we, awesome. we actually have made another record that's in the can. And we have plans to make a, yet another record. The, all of you, the same group. Yeah, the same band. And so this album came out on June 5th, and the day it was released, Downbeat published a review. It was the editor's choice for June of 2020. And nice. Very thankful to J.D. Constantine for that. And it's got a number of other reviews. And then we were on NPR Fresh Air on the Terry Gross show. It was reviewed by Kevin Whitehead. I was tuning a piano in Bushwick. And a high school friend called me. Then she hung up. And then she texted me. And she said, oh, my God, you're on Fresh Air. That's so fun. So, um... <laughs> Anybody can listen to that if they go to my website, jamescarney.net. That's okay, there. Good. It's a six-minute uh, piece that they did. That's so cool. And that's the first time I've been on NPR as a leader. So that's, that felt really good. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I, I say during, like, these kind of crises, you know, during times like this, you know, some people sit back and, and don't do anything and get kind of cowed by it. And then other people sort of take the opportunity and in some ways like when I saw you were opening well when I saw your album come out and you know get well reviewed and you know NPR interviewing you and then you opening this I thought you know it's so I think interesting how what motivates different people to do things you know and then it's funny because 
sometimes I think times like this, you can just say, if not now, when? You know what I mean? Like, we don't know. The future is fairly uncertain, which it frankly always is, let's That's face right. it. Yeah. But now we're more, I said, if we didn't realize it before, we definitely realize it now. And so there's something really, you know, I'm really just, as your friend, I'm totally like, I'm, I'm really excited for you. Well, thanks. And as a fan of your piano and pianos in general, I just, I think it's so exciting. And I'm, hopefully we'll be invited back to hear a show. Of Can course. you play just like a little something for us to finish up? Some new composition? No, I'll just improvise. Okay. Okay. performance. Thank you, James. And everybody, don't forget to talk to cool strangers and listen to them play music because it's awesome. And then check James Carney out at jamescarney.net. And we'll talk to you soon.